Welcome back to the show. This week we discuss the highly controversial Amazon Prime show, Rings of Power. Josiah's audio is still a little scratchy, uh, being that he is still recording on a potato. It's kind of like listening to two pieces of sandpaper being rubbed together. So I apologize for that. I am working on getting them upgraded to like a carrot or something. That might sound a little bit better. Um, but we hope you enjoy the episode anyway. And without further ado, here we go. All right. I would like to read this meme to you that uh, my brother sent Excellent. to me. I'm going to do my best uh, dramatic Galadriel reading. Uh, oh, I can't wait for this. Kate Blanchett version. Um, I wish I could give credit to whoever um, whoever came up with this, but uh, they did not sign their name. So, um, It began with the forging of the great films. <laughs> Threads were given by Tolkien, immortal, wisest, and fairest of all beings. Rights were granted to Jackson, great miner and craftsman of the mountains of lore. And nine, nine hours were gifted to the race of men who above all else desired quality. But they were all of them deceived. For another show was made <laughs> in the land of Amazon on the fires of Mount Prime, the Dark Lord Bezos forged in secret a master flop. And into this show he poured his money, his greed, and his will to dominate all film. One show to ruin them all. <laughs> All right, I'm not sure. Oh, I, I'm, I'm still gonna give it uh, give it some time. I don't know. I don't know if I think the show is that bad yet, but uh, I think we'll get into yeah. that. When I first watched it, I had such low expectations for it that I actually thought it wasn't that bad after first right, watching it. Right, right. Uh, well, that's where I'm at right now. I've only seen it the once. It's still fresh, and uh, mm. I, you know, I, I don't want to say this right at the beginning of the review because I feel like people are just gonna tune out after I say it, but it is, the overriding feeling that I have right now is, I just want to wait and see, because yeah. Yeah. there's not much to go on. No. They haven't, there is potential they haven't there. royally screwed anything up yet. They haven't nope. blown me away yet. I'm just sort of, also true. I'm waiting. I, th I think there's still a good deal to talk about yep. in these first two episodes, mm. but as far as like overarching verdict, I don't think I don't think anyone honestly can give one right now. I'm sure that there are lots of people on the internet wanting to say that it's either really good or really bad already, and I I don't really think that you yeah. should at this point. Yep, I think we need to give it a chance. Um, and I wanted to just kind of preface this episode by saying that uh, you and I are not Tolkien historians. I think we could hold our own in a conversation with a Lord of the Rings expert, but not necessarily all of the lore that comes right. before I, the Lord of the Rings. I, I have read uh, about half of the Silmarillion, and I've spent a, a bit of time researching like individual areas of the lore that I find interesting. But as for mm. how well this show follows the Silmarillion and you know the established lore, I can't really speak to that very yeah. well. Yeah, and boy, I'm trying to remember how many other books there are. There's the Silmarillion, there's the Book of Lost Tales, and I think there's another one about the Men of the West or something. I want to say it's the Red Book of Westmarch. Oh, that sounds yeah. right. Um, 
Yeah, so I've read half the Silmarillion and none of the other ones. So right. I don't think either of us is necessarily qualified to talk about all the history right. here. Uh, so I think we're definitely going to focus more on what we are... I don't want to say good at, but what we do is <laughs> just talking about story and What we pretend to be good at. Um, yes, yes. So we have microphones and we put our voices on the internet, so we must know oh, what yeah, we're talking about. Oh yeah, that makes about. us experts. Uh, so I was hoping to start off with this, that this would actually be like the story of the Silmarillion, but they don't ever claim that no. that's what it is, so you really can't hold them to that standard. Um, no, it's... We just know it's set in Tolkien's world. Mm-hmm. And it's apparent, like, oh. you know, with the title The Rings of Power, one would assume that it's about the forging of those rings that is very quickly glossed over mm-hmm. in that opening narration that you referenced. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, and like, that subject matter sounds super interesting to me. I'm totally here for that. Mm-hmm. Um, my quick like overview or uh, thoughts on the... Did you watch the first two episodes? first two episodes. Okay. Uh, my thoughts are that they kind of just took Tolkien's characters and world and wrote their own story for that them. That is definitely how it seems so far. I don't know how much of it... Like, I know they're they're definitely referencing things that I know are ironclad lore. I don't know if they're reference, referencing them mm. perfectly. But... Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think... Yeah. That's the difficult <laughs> thing. Because I... Peter Jackson does such a great job of sticking to the books, and mm-hmm. now I'm going to be so disappointed if they don't stick to the books here. But I haven't read all the books yet, so I mean, I, <laughs> I yeah, can't say at the moment. I do love to to see Morgoth getting a little bit of love. Uh, it's always been interesting to me that mm-hmm. like the the part of the story that everyone knows and that Tolkien wrote is like his main three books about is is all about Sauron as the villain and when you look at mm-hmm. the Silmarillion like Sauron is this little flea compared to the things yeah. that came before him <laughs> yeah well that's one of my complaints is that we actually get quite a bit of Sauron action in this and Morgoth is basically yeah over. we kind of skip past we skip past Ungoliant we skip past Morgoth and we're straight on to mm-hmm. Sauron again mm-hmm. which like I get it that's the villain that everybody's familiar with but yeah <laughs> yeah that was that was the thing I was looking forward to most is seeing Ungoliant and if you if you have aren't familiar Ungoliant is a gigantic spider that became so big from consuming everything that eventually light itself could not escape her gravitational pull and she ended up getting so large that she could not move um, she kind of built herself into this little hut of whatever she could pull around herself and then ended up consuming herself yeah. and um, Shelob from Lord of the Rings is actually spawn of Ungoliant which is uh, briefly referenced in the Lord of the Rings movies just sort of in passing it might actually be... I think it's referenced in Lord of the Rings. I know it's referenced in The Hobbit. Hmm. I actually don't remember catching that reference um, anywhere in Lord of the Rings because I remember thinking how cool that is once I learned about it. Uh, or Ungoliant, however you want to pronounce it. It's, it's referenced in The Hobbit when Radagast is talking about the giant spiders that he finds in in the forest. Uh, he says that they are some spawn of Ungoliant or he is not a wizard. I see. All right. Um, movie opens with um, very young Galadriel. Yeah, little baby Galadriel um, making a paper boat. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and, and narrating, of course. Because that's um, what she does. <laughs> she said that, that was her retirement job. She just became a narrator. Um, <laughs> she started off by saying the, the, the world was so young that there had not been a, yet been a sunrise or sunset. Mm-hmm. Or two. Um, and she said there was no evil in the world. And then cut to children being yeah. evil to her. I, um, I don't... Okay, so... I, I like... I imagine like you did. Went into this with just like ready to be disappointed and offended by nonsense and this opening scene did not help with that i it it started off low it was going down we saved it a little bit but like this scene is just so pointless Mm -hmm. like these Mm -hmm. kids are pointlessly mean it's just like shorthand Mm -hmm. for trying to make us like this character who is fairly obviously gladriel and it's like i just don't i don't need this scene this is a silly scene yep her mm-hmm. talking with her brother later is is fine and good, but like mm-hmm. eh, I mm-hmm. don't like this scene. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, they did give us a little bit of the backstory, the history of uh, where was it that the elves were living before they? I think that's when Morgoth took over, and then they moved over to yeah. Well, they're living in in Valinor or the Undying Lands, as they call it in mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings movies, um, which is sort of an analog for heaven. As much as Tolkien resolutely insisted yeah. that his books were not allegory, uh. <laughs> yeah, and I, well, I think the the thing was he didn't necessarily have a problem with people drawing parallels. He just didn't want people to take it, you know, exactly like it was supposed to be a right, image right. of his Because then you gotta really make sure everything's mm-hmm. on point. And I think he was just trying to tell a good story with good, yeah, uh, which is good which is very noble. Um, but yeah, generally. Valinor, the Undying Lands, the Elven Homeland. It's it's basically heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I did like the portrayal of the Tree of Light. Yeah. That was really cool. I just wish that they had actually gone into the story of how all this stuff was destroyed and everything, but I believe it was basically Morgoth and uh, Ungoliant that destroyed it pretty much. Yeah. Anything, if I remember correctly. And, and that's why, like, um, I, I feel the same way, and I, I would definitely complain about that, except that we're only two episodes in. For all we know, we'll get flashbacks to what happened, or we'll get some sort of, yeah. Yeah. like, reference to that. So, uh, maybe. Maybe it'll be good. Who knows? Yeah. I was going to say, they, they certainly do have time to redeem it and do, like, a flashback or something like that. Yeah, so, the, like, I, I would like to see more of that backstory because I'm less interested in, you know, Galadriel being bullied for no reason than I am in, like, <laughs> the, the Tree of Light being destroyed. Yeah, I'm curious um, if any of those books actually have any backstory for Galadriel. I mean, I know she's a character that like, is important in, in the wider lore, as is Elrond. I don't know if this is exactly what they were doing, but... Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that kind of goes back to my theory that they're just making up stories for the existing characters. Mm-hmm. Alright, um, so she and her brother have a, a nice little conversation. I just have a note that she's so serious. Yeah, well, I mean, elves. True Light looks really cool. Um, a quick note right off the bat her brother has short hair and it's just it's so wrong to see elves with short hair they're supposed to have long hair I didn't like his hair yeah 
Uh, or any of the other elves that had short hair. Oh, yeah. No, but, like, the rest of them don't bother me so much as, like, I just don't like Elrond's hair. It looks so dorky. Oh, well, we're talking about her brother right now, but, but yeah, I also I... don't like Elrond's hair. Um, and then her brother gets killed. Yep, sure does. Um, we learn about Sauron's mark, which I don't think is a thing. Eh. And this kind of comes back to my complaint about him becoming the main villain of these films yeah. all the way. And yeah, again, we'll see what they end up doing with it. But um, yeah, I, I don't know what's up with Sauron's mark. That's certainly not something I came across in the film. Definitely when seems invented. When I read it halfway through, he had not even been mentioned, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of like it's fine. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me why this mark would be left on brother's body, but sure, um, why not? Mm -hmm. We need some sort of, like, thread to follow in this story, so... Yeah. Um, I also have a good note that the actress that they picked to play Galadriel actually could pass as a younger Kate Blanchett, yeah. so I think they did a good job there with... They did a good job remaining er, maintaining consistency between the movie world that Peter Jackson created and a, uh the story that they're trying to tell. Because I think that's what audiences were expecting to see, is that same style. Yeah. They could have you know, done well within their rights to go off on a completely different tangent, and it could have still been correct, or at least not been wrong. But I like that they stick to basically the same styles that Peter Jackson did. Yeah, like... You know. And there was so much care and research that went into those designs as well. Yeah, so. I, just from a wider like cinematography perspective, that they do a good job of at least visually making it look like these scenes and shots could have been part of, like, the original trilogy of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess next we go to Sauron's cave slash lair, and we see his mark again. Uh -huh. Um, my next note is, Galadriel is so serious. Yeah, yeah. Um, She's very, very serious throughout all this. She's uh, some kind of general leading elves to, I guess, kill the last of the monsters mm -hmm. and the evil creatures in the she, she She's convinced that Sauron still exists, which, yeah. like, yeah. she has fairly decent evidence for. So she's trying to figure out where he mm -hmm. is hiding, basically. Um, my only complaint well, with this sequence, like, it's, it's actually really neat watching them, like, explore this creepy ice fortress thing. Uh, my only complaint is that entirely the rest of her little brigade that she is leading seem utterly incompetent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Why? Scene, yeah, the next scene we meet the the, the oh. snow troll. Yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of this thing. It was a redesigned troll, which again, it's fine. They they have it's their right to redo these characters however they want to, but. I wish they had just looked more like the trolls from Lord of the Rings, but maybe just been furry or yeah, something. Yeah, and, like, I, I think that there is precedent for, like, snow trolls being a thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I, <laughs> and this is a little bit silly because it's not a, what you would call a direct reference, but in the, uh, they, they made games years ago for the Lord of the Rings universe that uh, feature different factions and whatnot and, and focus on the the evil that came from the north that, uh, I believe led by the Witch King, and there were, like, trolls up there that looked fairly similar to what we see here, so. 
They're at okay. least referencing a part of the greater canon if it's not original. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll give him a pass on that one. Um, but yeah, all the dudes she's leading um, try to fight this thing and they utterly fail, so she comes in and stabs it and just goes yeah, by herself. Yeah, and this just seems like if this is one of my only complaints that, that I can submit now without having seen the rest of the show, in that this is a, a common horror writing example where you have, we want to show how cool this character is, and for some reason in order to do that we have to make everybody else incompetent. And like, mm-hmm. you don't have to do that. It just takes a little bit more work to have everybody else be a believable level of competent, but your main character be special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, so I wasn't happy about that. Um, and then her um, her crew, <laughs> I have written down they mutiny, but they don't actually because their mission was just yeah. to go up for after all these evil creatures, and they're months past that, and they're still following her, but then they decided they have nothing to do And honestly, I, I agree with, I, like, I don't agree with the way that they do it, but, like, it does make sense. You have mm-hmm. found something new, you have new information, and you're also not in a, any condition to continue forward. Like, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it makes sense to go back and regroup at this point. Yeah. yeah. Well, and she keeps going just based on these marks she keeps finding, which he could have left long ago and is long dead, but the marks are still there. To me, it seems like she's not really following much of a trail. It's certainly um, not a, um, a trail that this, needs to be followed right now or it will go cold. I mean, this yeah. is... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been, a, it's been there for a, a long, long time. It's not going to go away if you wait a little bit longer uh, and come back with more yeah. people. Um, from here... Did, is this where we cut to the, the Harfoot camp, or is this where we see that they've actually continued on? I think. Or no, no, I'm sorry. They uh, they discovered Sauron's lair. That's where they uh, they were like, we want to turn back. Oh, all of a sudden, here's his cave. And then they decided to turn back. And then, then I think we get the Harfoots, yep. which is... It's, it is at the same time the most fun to watch because it looks like they really have captured, like the hobbits as a, as a people like mm-hmm. the their their the way that they interact the, the like the little fun little like mannerisms and, and sayings that they have yeah. like mm-hmm. I, I like the characters i like the the, the design and the, the shots and everything i'm deeply uninterested in the story that's going on i don't care <laughs> like <laughs> My brother knows a little bit more about some of this pre-Lord of the Rings history, and he was telling me that uh, he's pretty sure the Hobbits were never mentioned in this part of the history. I think, what are we, in the Second Age here? That may, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So, so he's saying that they probably weren't even around yet at this point. Well, yeah. But I do I, I do like the Hobbit uh, character design. Um, and we meet our... Uh, main Hobbit character, Nori, yep. and her band of misfits, which I guess is mostly her siblings, uh-huh. that she, I don't know, leads outside of the camp where it's not it's safe. To do dangerous things. Yep, to do dangerous things, um, and then they end up having to go back in camp because there's a wolf out there. Um, I like that she's not a super, like, super rebellious character that's just like, well, I'm gonna go out and explore the greater world, even though my parents don't want me to. 
she's got a good relationship with her parents and the rest of the wise people in the village, and I like how they did that character design, because yeah. uh, oftentimes that's done poorly. It's refreshing to see that it's done with, like, some restraint, and not just dialed up to 11 for no reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we also get introduced to young Elrond here at some point. Um, <laughs> that's when Galadriel gets back to the elven capital. That's right. Yeah, that's right. She arrives back. Um, I don't know if most people realize this, but Galadriel ends up becoming Elrond's mother-in-law later on. She is, in fact, Arwen's grandmother. <laughs> they they look like they're trying to start a love story between Elrond and Galadriel in this show. Yeah. They make eyes at each other a little bit a couple of times, and they're like, they seem to be great friends, and I'm just a little concerned where they might be going with this. Or maybe it's a red herring just to throw people off. I don't know for sure. Yeah, it's, it's um, a little weird. I don't like it. Galadriel, at this point, I think is a couple hundred years old. Yeah. And in The Lord of the Rings, I think she's a, well, I think she's a few thousand or something at that point. Uh, elves, the age of elves is difficult yeah. to, to yeah. quantify. I, it, it, it's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the thing is that it seems like the timeline might be a little bit messed up, and we can get into that. Right. Later. But um, they seem like they're the same age, but I think Elrond is quite a bit younger, if I, if I know my history. That, that may well be. Um, my next note talks about the music, and I think that they did a pretty okay job with the music. Um, it it kind of sticks to the uh, uh, Peter Jackson theme. I think it, it sounds pretty music, good, but, there's no, but yeah. there's no like distinct themes in the music. I was just gonna say the the music was there, but I don't remember it. Like it was not mm-hmm. it was not a part of the story so much as it was just sort of a backing track, which is fine. Like, yeah. if it's not causing, if it's not calling attention to itself for being really bad, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yep. Yep. Now, I certainly couldn't remember any lines to hum. No. And in The Lord of the Rings, the the music is basically a character oh, itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I can listen to that soundtrack and tell you exactly what's happening in the mm-hmm. movie just by listening to the music. Like, not, not every but, movie is going to have a soundtrack that is so powerful. So when when it's not there, oh well. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it, it uh, certainly wasn't distracting, and I think they did a good job sticking with that same kind of feeling. Yep. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't very memorable. Um, we meet. Uh, we're learning a little bit more about the Harfoots here through the mom. Basically, she says. Uh, you know, nobody does anything unexpected or has any adventures. Is, is basically what she's getting at. Um, as she's talking to Nori, who wants to go off and have uh, adventures. Really eloquent speech, honestly. Like the the dialogue that happens between those characters in that scene, I really like. Mm. Where she's talking yeah. about like, yeah, where I, the I, where the birds learn the new songs that they sing in spring and all of that. Like, mm. whoever wrote that, gold star. Yeah I, think, yeah, I think there's pretty solid writing in the dialogue between all the Harford characters. 
Oh, I'm on another note, um, the Harfoots, I'm definitely going to start using the expression, have the wheels come off your cart. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, there is an expression, uh, this is where the wheels come off. So, yep. I just, I, like I, la like, I laughed out loud when Nori's friend says that to her. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> It definitely gave nice. me um, feelings of uh, being that friend and following John doing something stupid. So, yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. I, I don't think John's cart ever had wheels. No, I don't um, think it did. <laughs> Where he's going, he doesn't need wheels. That's that's that's, that's true. Um, Galantriel then gets uh, the honor of getting to go to the Grey Havens for all of the service that she's provided. She gets retired. Yes, <laughs> forced retirement. Um, <laughs> even though she's like basically disobeyed some of their orders and stuff, they're still like, yeah, she was still a great leader and she did great things, so we're still going to let her go to the Grey Havens with everybody else. Right. Um, my note is, don't all elves get to go to the Grey Havens when they die, or when, you know, at the end? Unclear? I think... Okay, so either this is just discontinuity, which it very well could be, or it's... That was not a practice that had yet been established, because we're really far back in history from mm. the time of, like, the, the main trilogy. So... I think on that one I'm going to have to reserve judgment until after we see the rest of the show. Yeah, and uh, elves are immortal, but they can be killed in battle. Yeah. So I don't know how that works as far as getting to the Grey Haven. Like, if they're killed in battle, do they automatically show up at the Grey Havens, or what? I think, according to the Silmarillion and, like, the book lore, I believe that that is true. But there's even some, uh, like... What's the word that I want? There's some, like, reference to the fact that maybe that's where everybody goes. Like, not just hmm. the elves. I, it's a little bit yeah. unclear. Like, Tolkien was not really ironclad in his greater, like, mythology on yeah. how that works. I think intentionally, because, yeah. first of all, that wasn't really the point. And secondly, it's like, that's getting mm -hmm. a little bit too into, like, the religious parallel, which was yeah. something that he was trying not to, like way in on, I think. It's interesting that in The Lord of the Rings the ring bearers get to go. <laughs> At least the good ring bearers. Um, Rip the Smeagol. Even even, <laughs> even Samwise at the end, um, after he's had his family get to go to the Grey Haven yeah. later on. And it's kind of implied that none of the other hobbits went. I think that it's, it's sort of like a weird symbolic thing of like you can the, the elves physically go to the Grey Havens without having to experience death, and then mm. other other races in spirit are brought to like maybe not the same place but somewhere similar. It's really weird. I remember reading it a couple of years ago and not fully understanding what I was reading. <laughs> mm. I think Gimli um, gets to go to the Grey Havens. Did he? I, I believe that's the case. I think that he I and Legolas remember. go later. I know they went off and had a lot of adventures after the mm -hmm. Anyway, speaking of um, Gimli and Legolas, mm -hmm. we have some interesting... Uh, like, I, I really enjoyed the dwarves in these two episodes. Yeah? yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the dwarf design was very good. Um, we get to that a bit later, and I've got some notes on that. Ah, okay. Um, I'll try not to skip 
my next note just says that the costume design and sets are amazing. I think they did a really good job with them. Yeah. They made them look very real and believable. One of my huge complaints about historic films is that a lot of times stuff looks too neat and perfect and doesn't look used and worn, and I think they did a good job of making everything look real and used here, just like Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, we meet our black elf that everybody freaked out about in the trailer. You know, all, the only responses that I saw for that were people saying that people were going to be upset about it. Oh, okay, okay. Um, like, as if one wanted to be a purist about the way that Tolkien's world was created, it, it is a little odd, because elves mm-hmm. are a race. Yeah. But you could also make the argument that humanity is a race, and thus you have variation. So... Mm-hmm. Basically, my opinion on it is a resounding, I don't care. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I really don't care that much either. I'm not going to give the movie, or the show, a ton of credit for like creating this variation. Mm-hmm. I also don't mind that they did. I think yeah. that it's fine. If it makes people happy, that's great. If it makes other people upset, I really don't think that they need to be upset. <laughs> that's true most of the time people really don't need to be upset well that's true um, but if, if, if we were never upset about things we were, didn't need to be upset about we wouldn't have a show that's true so um, I don't I, I hate this guy's haircut though it looks like he went and got it just buzz cut at a modern day yeah. barber it's just too neat and perfect again I just the elves need to have long hair that's just what elves have it's and if, if not, it at least should look a little bit more, like, historical, for lack of a better word. Yeah, um, more like it, it was cut with, like, a, a knife or a yeah. shears rather than a buzz cutter. Yeah, it does look um, a little odd. I suppose you could do that with a comb and a razor somehow. Um, maybe I, you'll have to confer with your wife. Being that's a good point. I do like his armor. I think that his, like, outfit looks really cool. Mm. Yeah, that goes back to my costume and set design being really good. I think they did a good job of creating realistic armor, sticking with the themes of each culture within the movies, or within the story. As for the things that he's doing on screen, and sort you know, because it's told in a, a sort of variety of little story segments that we jump back and forth between with different sort of like focus characters. I resoundingly don't care about the plot that's being told around this like mm-hmm. random human settlement and this outpost of elves that are yeah. probably all going to get eaten by orcs. Like, I just I haven't been given a reason to care yet about what's mm-hmm. going on here. Like, worst case a village full of people who are rude to each other and to the elves that are watching over them get eaten by, by goblins. Mm-hmm. Except his love interest, she's nice. She's fine, yeah. <laughs> I hate, I hate that they created this little love story. Yeah. Um, like I think they completely made it up. But I just resoundingly don't care about this section. Of, like I'm sitting here watching the show when it switches to this story thread. I'm like, eh. <laughs> mm-hmm. can we get back to something else? Yeah, um, yeah. But he goes to. They go to the town to talk to the villagers because they're, they're kind of watching over, and then he kind of sneaks out the back to, to talk to his little love interest and kind of gets found out by his fellow soldier 
and they have a little bit of an argument of it. And then uh, <laughs> to end it, he just insults him by saying, you smell of rotten leaves. I just thought it was funny that that's his best insult. He smells like rotten leaves. Like, rotten leaves actually smell good. It's like that, that fall smell. And the dude just seems so insulted, he stops and smells himself as the guy's walking away. Must be an elf thing. It must be, yep. I, I just thought that was hilarious. That's the best insult that he had, and it really hit this guy. Yeah. Uh, I thought their tower outpost was pretty cool, at least the scenery that you could see from it. I liked the captain when he was there for like a hot, a hot second, and when he basically mm. told him that these people are not to be trusted, and I'm sitting here like, yeah, that seems valid. <laughs> yep. Um, my next note just says, I uh, the elf human love story, I hate it, and um, she wants to go with him, and just leave her son. Yeah, okay, so, I have a question about this. He has reason to believe that there is a great evil because there's a cow that got infected. And his reaction to this is not to go and get his friends, other capable mm -hmm. soldiers, whose whole purpose it is to sit there and look for evidence of corruption. Like, yeah, I know they've been recalled, but, like, show them with the creepy infected cow, and they'll probably want to come with you. With the black milk. Yeah, so instead of retrieving competent allies to go and investigate, mm -hmm. he's like, yeah, I'm going to bring this random, very fragile human... And the very fragile human is like, I'm going to leave this even more fragile human for whom I am the sole protector unattended mm -hmm. while I go off on yep. this adventure. What is anyone thinking in this moment? Like, yep. I don't know. <laughs> just, uh, whatever. Story has to happen, I guess. But like, yeah. come on. So they go off to another village together and find that everybody has disappeared and there's a hole which I am firmly believe leads to the upside down. Oh probably yeah um, that makes sense. She goes back to her village and he jumps down in to go find the demigods. Again why? Why are you jumping down into the <laughs> hole? Go find help. By, by yourself yep. Ugh. As someone who DMs for a group of people who play Dungeons and Dragons if one of my characters was just like ah yes I was scouting, and I found the danger. Now I'm going to go towards it instead of retrieving the rest of my friends. They're going to die. They're, they're going <laughs> to die, because that is dumb, and you shouldn't do that. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Just had a quick note that um, Galadriel's pupils are ginormous through uh, most of this film. Yeah, they are. All of the elves are. They just have massive eyeballs. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to say... Um, I don't know what she's on, but stimulants will do that to you. Mm. You saying Gladriel's juicing? I, I don't know. I mean, she doesn't seem to be behaving <laughs> oddly in any other way, but just saying, her pupils are a lot bigger than they need to be. She does seem very aggressive, which, you know... <laughs> Maybe it helps her see better? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's not... Uh, uh, it's not very dark usually whenever she's shown uh, with big, big people, so there's no need for them to be. Anyway, that's just. It is notable. It's, yeah, it's. It's unimportant, but I noticed it. Anyway, so what happens next? I don't recall. Um, they, there's a little map scene that shows you where they are in this world of Middle Earth, which I think they did a good job of using the map oh, to show you. Yeah, where I are. like that a lot. Um, and then. We see Galadriel and her compadres on a ship headed toward the Grey Havens. 
And then she remembers her conversation with her brother. Uh-huh. And she starts to doubt whether this light that she's going toward is good light. Yeah, I... Okay, it's so... weird. So I get the story you want to tell, but it doesn't apply here unless you're going to dramatically rewrite a bunch of things. Like, maybe... Mm. Because what what you mean to say, generously speaking, if, if you are not telling a really stupid story, I think what they mean to say is that though going to, to to Valinor, into this light that she is looking into, would be the easy option. The, the right option is your work isn't done yet, you have to go back. Mm-hmm. But instead, it comes off as like it's a trap, and she has mm-hmm. to escape before she gets consumed by this light, which just doesn't make sense. It's weird. Yeah. I don't like it. And we have every reason to believe that this is true and right, and she should be going to this place that she's. And the other thing is, the elves came from from Valinor before. There's nothing mm-hmm. that says she can't just leave again. Yeah, I don't know how that works. If you get a one-way ticket there and you can't come back, like, or what? It seems like the better option would have been to land on the shore and go. You know what? I've changed my mind. I want to go back mm-hmm. and then take a boat. And worst case, mm-hmm. if they aren't going to give you a boat, swim back. That's apparently what you were going to do anyway. <laughs> yeah, apparently that's something she can do. So she does her little Jack Sparrow swan dive into the ocean at the last second oh with her sword. Her um, and then my next note is, are elves friendly with sea creatures? Because, you know, they can talk to trees and horses. I thought maybe she was going to get a ride from a dolphin or something. She should have gotten a pair of sea turtles. She should have done that. <laughs> Oh, then this is the end of the first episode. We get this falling star that turns out there's a man inside. Yeah, yeah, a falling star with a dude in it. And again, I love all of the scenes with the Harfoots. I don't care about the falling star man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My my note is, is this uh, Arendelle? Question mark. Maybe. Because um, Galadriel gives that the little vial of liquid light to Frodo in The Lord of the Rings and says this is the light of Arendelle, our most, most beloved star. Yeah. But my understanding is that Arundel was actually somehow ended up getting (laughs) turned into a star Uh, at some point. So I don't think he was a star that fell to Like, he looks kind of like Gandalf, but I don't think he's supposed to be Gandalf. I don't know what's going on with this guy. Yeah, I think that was what some people's concerns were, is that it was going to be Gandalf. Yeah, I don't think I I would like that very much. I d- oh, I definitely would not like that very much. I don't know if Gandalf has much of a backstory. Well, he's just there's... one of the... I forget what they're called, but there's... Like, they were sent to Middle-earth to protect it. The Valar? Oh, oh they were... What, they're the Mai... Part of the Mai, Mai aren't they? Mai, I don't know, yeah, something like that. Yeah, there's, so... there's the five wizards. There's, the, I think, the, some of the eagles... Some are all of the eagles are Maiar. They're like the good angels that were they're, sent, they're I the think, count, to protect yeah. Middle Earth after Mar- Morgoth created the Balrogs. Yeah, they're I sort think. of the counterpart to the Balrogs, which, like, honestly, mm-hmm. if this is Gandalf, it would make enough sense, I think, given the existing lore. It's a little weird, and I don't think I like yeah. it very much, but... Nope. 
again, this is one of those where, like, there's definitely enough space for them to make it work, but who knows if they will or not. Um, so cutting to our next episode, episode two, uh, they released two of them together so that you could get hooked, and then I don't know if this is going to be a weekly release after this, I, I assume so. Um, there's kind of a cool intro using sand vibrating on... Yeah plates, kind of like if you pump a uh, sound wave through a piece of, well, a sheet of anything really and put sand on it, it kind of gathers where the nodes are. But I thought it was kind of a cool intro. Yeah, it was pretty neat. And then it, it kind of zooms out and shows you that it's actually a 3D pattern, whatever it is. I don't even remember what the point of it was. It was just eye candy, I think, for the credit roll. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, my eyes feasted on it, but then uh, it didn't actually do anything for the story, so... Well, yeah, it's candy. There's no nutritional value. It's just... Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so yes. All right. Oh, so here's here's where our elf soldier jumps into the Upside Down. Apparently, he did not do that in the first episode. Yeah, whatever. In the second episode. Um, Elrond gets sent off to meet... This is the only story thread that I'm actually really interested in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, who's, I guess, member of the Master Forgers that makes beautiful stuff and also weapons, I think? If you have played the Shadow of Mordor series, there's two games. Um, Celebrimbor is a major character in that. He is... Uh, okay. he, he assists in the forging of the Great Rings. Um, like, canonically. He's, he is the greatest smith that the elves currently have. We get reference in the show to the guy who made the Silmarils and everything, who was, like, the, the greatest legendary elf smith ever, but uh, Celebrimbor is certainly up there. Yeah, was it his hammer that they were wooing and eyeing over? Yeah. The guy that, is, is he the guy that made the Silmarils? They, they reference that in the, in- in the dialogue. Remind me quickly, what are the Silmarils? Are they beautiful stones, or what were they? I can't so, even remember. The Silmarils are, um, which is the namesake of the Silmarillion, because largely speaking, mm-hmm. you can trace basically all of the conflict in Middle-earth to these stones. Um, they are, I believe, the only remaining droplets of light from the Tree of Light uh, that coalesced oh. into stones, which were then forged into... Uh, a set of jeweled, like, I think it's a circlet and a necklace or something, like, jeweled something by this smith. Um, okay, there are four of them, aren't there? I think so. And then Morgoth steals them, uh, oh. which sets off the whole, like, war. And then after that, I think they go missing, and then I believe they end up in the uh, horde of Smaug. Which is what, which is loosely what everyone's fighting over in Hobbit, and then after that, I don't know where they go. But like, they're interesting because I don't remember them even being mentioned in the Hobbit. There was the heart of the mountain. Well, right. And that's what the dwarves are there for. But yeah. like, the elves are there to get the Silmarils. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Hmm. See, if they'd have just communicated, they probably could have given the elves the Silmarils, and they'd have gone away happy, and the window had to be a battle. Yep, basically. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> but uh, Bilbo ends up giving him the heart of them, the heart of the mountain, to trade back with. So it's apparently something of great value. Yeah, so. it's it's a like 
there's there's sort of a, a something that ties the narrative together. Uh, so we learn that Celebrimbor wants to make a gigantic forge for uh, making more beautiful stuff, mm-hmm. and but he doesn't have enough people or soldiers, and um, whoever the king of the elves is wouldn't send him more than more than Elrond. He's I love that line where he's like, "Yeah, the king." With, I, I asked the king for a whole bunch of people, and he sent me you. <laughs> <laughs> um. So apparently. Elrond has some connections with the dwarves. Which yeah. I don't know where that comes into the story. It's referenced that Elrond is a diplomat. Like, that's his, his job. Mm. So, okay. sure, he has connections with the dwarves. Why not? <laughs> so, they, they decided, decided to travel to Khazad Doom. It's, it's Moria before the fall. It, be, it, it is called Moria after the tragedy. The okay. Okay. Uh, that makes sense. Um, we find out that Prince Durin is uh, basically in charge of the place. I was discussing this with my brother who knows a little bit about this stuff and apparently Durin is just a very common name back then. Really? So, because I was wondering, like, where does Durin fall into this? Because um, he's the one, you know, Durin's bane is the the heart of the mountain. Hobbit times. But this happened so far before the Hobbit that how could he have still been alive Uh at that point? So that's where the timelines weren't making sense to me. But he told me that it's a, just a very common name, just like John or Michael or interesting something in in our languages. Yeah, because there there's um, there's the the song of Durin that I think is in the books. Uh, Durin is like a legendary figure in dwarven hmm. culture. So maybe they were just there's a bunch of people named after him. That would kind of make sense. Yeah. So, if that's the case, I think it's an interesting way to kind of throw out a red herring because you're thinking, oh, Duran, I know that name. So maybe you think you know where the story is going and you don't. I don't know. Remains to be seen. But that's what uh, that's what I've been told by somebody who knows a little bit about the matter. Anyway. Um, I love, as they're approaching uh, Casa Doom, you see all these cascading waterfalls that kind of split into smaller waterfalls as they go down, and it really evokes the feeling of the way Mithril looks in the rock, uh, which we get a brief glimpse of in The Lord of the Rings when they're going through the Mines of Moria. Right, right. I didn't know so that, I just, but I'll have to go back. Yeah, I don't know if it was intentional, but it's very beautiful. It's just kind of that silver-white color contrasted against the dark rock. I, I thought it looked really cool. And that is what they're mining, is Mithril. Yeah, that's the whole point of Moria. Mm-hmm. Or Cousin Doom. Sorry. So... He goes to the door, tries to get let in. He expects to get let in. <laughs> they don't let him completely in. Completely denied. Completely shut down. Um, it actually kind of reminds me of that scene in uh, Star Wars where they're trying to get into Jabba's palace. He eventually evokes the right of... I can't remember what it's called. Parlay? <laughs> Basically, they get to smash rocks, and whoever whoever's the last man standing... Uh, gets to have an audience with the king, or if it's the king, or the prince in this case, uh, he banishes them, apparently. That is the most dwarven thing I've ever seen. I kind of dig it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've got a, a special room for it, and two little special, like, rock-breaking anvils. Uh-huh. 
just for this competition. It's really great. I love this scene. Imagine all the work of hauling those gigantic, like, 200-pound stones in, one, one or 200-pound stones in, and then you got to clear apart the debris after each one because they only smash them once. Look, and then you, you live underground, you'll take any source of entertainment you can get. I suppose. I guess it's true. Um, the next scene is Galadriel still swimming. Yep. And I must note, she's a very fast swimmer. Yeah. She meets these people on a raft whose ship had apparently been capsized, and then they tell her that it was the worm, uh, referring to a sea creature. Yep. And then the worm attacks, and then we get a short, short sequence of the Jaws of the Rings uh, as the sea creature consumes all but one of her newfound friends who are suspicious of her. We don't get to see a lot of this worm, just a little bit of its, like, fins sticking above the water, and that's about it. I really wish we'd gotten to see more of that. We see exactly as much as the budget could have. Yep. I, I had two predictions. Either she was going to make friends with it and it wasn't going to attack, or she was going to go down with her sword and just completely kill it by herself. Yeah, I was actually also... I was thinking she would kill it, personally, which I thought was going to be a little bit ridiculous, but I was mm -hmm. expecting it to happen. To the movie's credit, though, uh, Galadriel, not just an invincible, like, superhero. She actually does not defeat yeah. the worm. She is rescued by someone else, which is something that certain other uh, recent protagonists cannot claim. <laughs> Are you referring to someone specific that I'm missing oh, here? Just, it's just sort of a trend with, with the recent movies where, like, we've forgotten how to have flawed protagonists in a lot of cases. It's, it's a little frustrating. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's why I hate most superhero movies, because I feel like that's the way that they are. Um, doesn't leave a lot of room for character development and growth, which I think is exactly. a huge part of the story. Yeah. So we're back then with the dwarves in Casa Doom, and we see that uh, puny little elf Elrond is actually holding his own with this stone-breaking competition. Yeah, he's doing a pretty good job. We get to uh, see a lot of the inside of the mines um, after he eventually gives up and then finds out that the reason that uh, Jiren is so upset with him is because he hasn't come around for his wedding or the birth of his children. And it turns out it's just Elrond lives forever, and so 20 years' time didn't really seem like much to him, and so it was just kind of an accidental sorry. He accidentally slighted him. And, like, and I, I get this scene, and it, it doesn't bug me very much. But it is. Mm. I wish that they had chosen a larger span of time than 20 years. Because, yes, elves live forever, which is longer than dwarves. But dwarves also live a long time. Like, mm. several hundred years. So, yeah. it, like, if they had just made it, like, 50 years, that would have made sense to me. It, it seems yeah. a little odd that you have these two very long-lived races who are really upset about 20 years. Yeah. And also, like, did Elrond not get invited to the wedding? Did he not know about yeah. it? Because I feel like that's on you, Durin, if he didn't know about the wedding. Like, it's not like mm -hmm. you can look on Facebook and see, like, oh, you're getting married, you know? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, it's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that uh, Durin still does want to be friends with him, and he's like, well... Elrond's like, well, can I at least see your home and your wife and children? And he's like, oh, fine. 
Um, I, I, back to the mines, though. I wanted to talk about those real briefly. I really like the technology that they have built in, like the the light shafts and the mirrors that bounce light around so they can see what they're doing. Oh, yeah, super cool. I, I really like that. It's, yeah, it's just a really beautiful, beautiful mine. The light really lights everything up, and it just looks great. The scene of, of uh, Elrond in Durin's home, like with Turin's wife, who is an excellent character. Everything she does is awesome. Mm. Uh, his kids mm-hmm. running around with the giant, like, metal heads and ramming into each other. Yeah, and he's like, I told you to stay out of my heads. This scene, like, <laughs> is just good, clean, enjoyable, like, Lord of the Ringsness. Um, mm. Sorry, I'm being fed a excellent joke here about uh, missing dwarven weddings. Uh, clearly, he was not uh, logged into his Mindspace account. Oh, very good, very good. Um, yeah, well, you know, he's off fighting battles, doesn't always have great receptions, so... Yeah. Um, what, was I, what was I talking about? Oh, this scene inside of Durin's house. Like, eating dinner, the set is beautiful. You, it, like, mm-hmm. you just look at it, and you immediately are... You don't have to suspend your disbelief. You're just like, this is what the inside of a dwarf's house looks like. Underground, in, in a mountain, like... Everything fits. Everything is really cool. The characters are fun. The dialogue mm-hmm. is good. Like, this is a good scene. This might be my favorite scene of the first two episodes. Yeah, it's good. Good character introduction to who Durin is and his family. And mm-hmm. Despite being a gruff dwarf, he actually does have a tender side to him. Yeah. Um, one of the big complaints I heard here is that we see that dwarf, at least this dwarf woman, does not have a beard. Right. What were your thoughts on this? Were, do, was it your understanding that they did have beards or did not have beards? Well, okay, so Gimli references that they do. It is within my suspension of disbelief range to believe that the, what Gimli is referencing is that female dwarves have the capacity to grow beards and that female dwarves on the battlefield, which is where Gimli exists for the most part and where other people see dwarves for the most part, would more commonly have beards, and that mm. Durin's wife, who lives inside of a mine, has no need to have a beard, and thus does not have one. <laughs> yeah. That's my current outlook on that. I always took that to mean, because there was that conversation between Arwen and Gimli and Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings, um, where Gimli says that, you know, the belief has arisen that there are no dwarf women. And then Aragorn says, it's the beards. And I thought he was trying to say, it's the beards that gives away that, you know, the difference between dwarf men and dwarf women. But maybe he was saying, it's because of the beards, that's why people yeah. think there are no dwarf women. I mean, it, it could really go either way. It could also just be Aragorn making a joke. Like, he yeah. could just mm-hmm. straight up be making that up. So, to get uh-huh. upset about it seems very silly. Well, maybe there is more about it in other books, but uh, we're just going off our knowledge of from The Lord of the Rings. Right. Having read the books uh, at least once or twice myself and watched the movies, which are very close to this. Anyway, <laughs> getting back to Rings of Power here. <laughs> I wasn't terribly upset that she didn't have a beard, although I think it would have been funny. I think it was a missed opportunity. It didn't even occur to me until you brought it up, to be honest. Mm. I, I haven't seen this, but my brother was telling me about um, people who have gone in and added a beard to her and also given long hair to the elves that had short hair 
and apparently they look much better. Yeah, so I would believe that. M- might have to go check that out. Specifically the elves. Like, I can definitely see that. Mm. Uh, then we get back to the elf soldier in the tunnel, and he comes across or he sees a shadow of something moving ahead of him, and he starts going the other direction. Which, <sighs> what did you expect to find? You knew there was something in this tunnel. Right. You're just going to see a shadow of it and then run back? Um, and then all of the rats start running down the tunnel, and you know when the rats are abandoning the ship, something bad is happening. Either Indiana Jones is there, and the tunnel has been set ablaze, or the ship is sinking, or something <laughs> bad's about to happen. Yep. Um, he starts running. He finally finds a... Let's see, he swims through water, right? And comes yeah, up in this little he opening. he through like a really narrow section, dives into a pool of water back out, goes over to like a little spot where he's sitting and looking at the water, mm-hmm. there's bubbles coming up out of it, and then he gets grabbed mm-hmm. by some creepy hands behind him. I just don't yeah. care. I just don't care. <laughs> uh, uh, this, this, this scene was in the trailer, actually, the hands coming out. And then, yeah, he gets pulled into the dirt. Here's the problem for me, and maybe this isn't a problem for other people, but when I see a character make a series of stupid decisions that put him in danger... I don't care mm-hmm. that he is now in danger. Like, if you want me to to feel bad about him getting grabbed by spooky hands and pulled into the darkness, make him make some decisions that make sense that lead up to it, because otherwise I'm just like, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> you played stupid games, yeah, well, now you win you. stupid <laughs> prizes. <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, don't worry, he's going to survive. I know he will. Oh, yeah, I mean, obviously, but like... I don't know. It's just annoying. There was, uh, a, I recognized a lot of scenes. A lot of the scenes in the trailer actually ended up in these episodes, which is not always true. Um, that, that, we should go back to the, the lady who's in love with the dwarf. Her son finds apparently Sauron's old sword hidden under a barn. Oh, the lady who's in love with the elf. You said, you said in love with the dwarf. Yeah, well, uh, I was like, no, the that's same in thing. The no. Hobbit. Uh, yeah, it's in love with the elf. My apologies. <laughs> um, we were just talking about dwarves. Yes, they're very different. In love with the elf. Uh, her son finds Sauron's sword hidden with a bunch of other stuff under a barn. It's the only part of this plot thread that I care about. <laughs> of all the other stuff hidden under there, the only thing he opens up is this sword, and then he takes it, and we see that there's Sauron's mark on it. Um, and he pulls it out because he and his mother are leaving with the rest of the village. Um, and so he goes and gets this sword. And then we see a drop of blood from a wound in his hand gets sucked out and into the sword. And then it, like, reconstitutes back into a sword because it's only a very small part of it. Yeah. It starts, like, regrowing. Yeah. Super cool. Definitely interested oh. in the weird blood-sucking sword. It's the only part yeah. of this little plot uh, thread that I care about. This boy is definitely going to turn into some evil character, but I probably. bet you he gets saved at the end. Oh, probably. Nah, he's the new yep. Sauron. It might be. Um, at this point, I don't know, had Sauron forged the rings yet? I, did they mention that? No. I think they did mention it. I, I believe that that is the plot of this story, is the forging of the great rings. I mean, it's called I guess that makes sense, but it's called the rings of power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um... Again, back to my brother, because, again, he knows a lot of this backstory, at least more than I do. Um, I thought he said that Celebrimbor 
helped forge some of the elven rings? Yeah, I believe that that's true. I don't. I think that that is specifically what he's building the tower for. Okay, um, and that might be. I, I, the speculation was that maybe it was why the elves didn't become corrupted by the rings, like humans did. But it also does say that you know men above all else desire power, so maybe that's what corrupted them more. Um. If you don't have anything more to say about the show, my next question is, what were, what are you hoping to see in the future of the show? So, what I'm hoping to see in the future of the show is uh, a great deal more of Elrond and Celebrimbord. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see... So, I need to see Galadriel... Like, I, I'm really encouraged by the, the very last bit that we get of Galadriel, where she is working with this dude who I have no idea who he is or if he's supposed to be important and the two of them are there's clearly like he's got a lot of interesting story yet to explore um and like I think that there's definitely the potential for those two to be fun to watch and like well written and good um Mm. I don't really know where the weird like Harfoots and Starman are going (laughs) It could still be good. I don't really know or care. Um, the the tunnel elf could just get killed, and that would be okay because he made a series of bad decisions. But that seems a little mean. I kind of like him, <laughs> in spite of everything. Like yeah, he's fine. So I really hope that that goes somewhere interesting instead of just poor decision land. Um, but yeah, like. I don't even know for sure what to ask for because I don't know where they're going. But yeah. there's a lot of I, I really hope that I don't look back at this episode after seeing the rest of the of the of like the rest of the show and go, oh yeah, so we talked about all the ways that they could pull it off and then they just completely dropped the ball. I just want to mm. see them not drop the ball. I don't care where they yeah. go so long as they do it well. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, there's a speculation that maybe they're just doing these two episodes really well to get us hooked, and then they're going to take it in a completely different direction. And if they Who do, knows? then they deserve all of the negative backlash that they will get for that. <laughs> uh, I'm curious what the uh, the fan base for this is, because the Lord of the Rings movies and books are very old. Are is there is the newer generation into the Lord of the Rings like ours was? I think at least they're aware of it. Um, particularly because yeah. of things like, like the, the Shadow of Mordor games did pretty well um, mm. and I think that okay. that definitely spurred some interest like it's just such a force in like popular culture um, yeah it's it's sort of like and I know that this won't help you at all um, but like it's sort of like Naruto is to anime like if you're aware of the fantasy genre at all you are aware of Lord of the yeah. So never heard of that anime thing that you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, don't worry so. about it. One, maybe one <laughs> of our four listeners knows what I'm talking about. Um, but, and I mean, you know, like D&D has recently become popular again. And yeah. Like D&D mm-hmm. owes a fair bit of its world building, particularly its portrayal of elves to Lord of the Rings. Mm. So, like, okay. it's just sort of there. I don't know if a lot of people have seen the extended movies and are like really into it far fewer have read the books but like yeah. I think that 
it's just a powerful enough franchise that when you slap the title on and you post it on Amazon Prime, like, people are going to watch it. Yeah, well, they're going to watch, but my point is, do they know enough about the actual Lord of the Rings and the backstory enough to be upset if they take it in the wrong direction? Are they going to get that negative backlash, or are they just going to be like, oh, that's a fun show? Oh, no, I don't think that they'll get a lot of backlash for taking liberty with the source material, because, like, The Hobbit did that, and The Hobbit got some backlash, but ultimately, they did a, like, 80% of it is, is okay. Um, but like, I'd say about 20% of it's okay. All right, whatever. Um, between the two <laughs> of us, we have a good movie. <laughs> um, if they if they take this completely in a different direction, it's a part of the story that even we don't really know about, and we're bigger Lord of the Rings fans than most. Which basically means mm. they can tell whatever story they want as long as they don't really butcher the characters as they exist in, say, like the Lord of the Rings movies. As long as yeah. the characters arrive where they're supposed to be, I think that they can do a lot and still have a pretty good show. Yeah. I think, if anything, they're more likely to run afoul of over, like, over-politicizing it, as a lot of recent mm -hmm. shows have done, and mm -hmm. that's what I would be more concerned about, though I haven't really seen too much of that so far, which is really encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did have a note. Galadriel's makeup is a little bit obvious in some places, which I think is annoying because they managed to pull it off in Lord of the Rings where they just made the elves' faces look perfect without actually seeing any of the makeup, and you definitely see the makeup in some point, some places here. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, I, I guess I haven't really dived into um, makeup in movies, but... You know, you've got your makeup to make your character look the way they do, and they're supposed to look just completely natural, like that's the way they are. And then, of course, you've got added makeup, like, you know, what humans wear, eyeshadow, things like that. Um, which I think she had a little bit of added makeup, which the elves don't need. Yeah. So. I didn't notice, but I believe you. I thought, I thought it was a little odd. Just thought it was a little odd. Um, it also has that slightly water-repellent quality to it, as if there's a little bit of oils in it. I don't know. I, I thought it stood out a little bit. As somebody who pays attention to costume and makeup design. Did the underwater shots near the end of the second episode look fake to you, too, or was that just me? Um, I didn't have an issue with them. Oh, I thought, like, it, it didn't look terrible, but it was just like, wow, they don't look like they're underwater. Huh. Yeah, it didn't stand out to me. Mm. Uh, definitely not as bad as Jurassic World, though. Well, no. water scene. <laughs> I kind of want to go back and rewatch that now, though. And, it, and, and the only reason that it stood out to me was because everything else looked so good. Like, mm. so it's really not a big deal. Before we get into favorite scenes and favorite characters, my one last note is just that the Harfoots have very Irish accents. Yep, I'm okay Which, with it. it it's well, I yeah, I don't have an issue with it necessarily. Um, I like that the different cultures have different, very distinct ways of speaking and costume design and motifs and things like that because it really tells you where you are and who you're dealing with. Yeah. Rather than some movies where you, everybody's just kind of a wash of the same thing and you can't really tell who you are or who you're with or what character you're with. So I like that they have made everybody very distinct. My question is, are we supposed to expect all of these different plot lines to converge somehow? Like... Mm. Because I can kind of see all the other characters working together, but then there's this child. 
Yeah. Like, what? What are they going to do anyway? Again, I, I, I just. She's taking care of the Starman. Yeah. Maybe Starman will convert with everybody else. Well, you can see she's starting to try to learn things from the wise man in the village, and he doesn't want to teach her this stuff necessarily. Oh, also one big note I had. Really super inconsequential, but uh, The Lord of the Rings was filmed in New Zealand, uh -huh. and the moon there appears upside down to what it does to us here in America. Mm -hmm. And so in the movies, it is oriented a specific way. In this show, it's the other way. Oh, man. I don't know what part of the planet this is taking place on, but that bothered me a little bit. I just wish there had been that consistency oh, that, there. That you only see the moon for a little bit in The Lord of the Rings. Uh, where they're trying to get into the mines of Moria. But. That would have been really cool had they caught that. That's a bummer. Yep. That's a bummer, man. Alright, favorite character? My favorite character. I, like, okay. So I want it to be Elrond because I really like Elrond in the original trilogy. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. his hair is stupid and his dialogue is fine. Um, yep. So I'm reserving potential for Elrond to become my favorite character as the story progresses, because I do like him. Yeah. But, eh. uh, I really like Durin, though. Durin's really cool. Mm -hmm. I think he might have to be my favorite for now. Yeah, our, uh, main protagonist is Gladriel. She's just fine. She's fine. I, d I don't really care that much about her. Yeah. Um, it's also hard because you know she's going to survive, so it's hard to put her in any kind of peril. Well, yeah. Because, like, we know she survives. We also know that, uh... It's the same problem with Elrond. survives yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't really care about her. Uh, I don't, also don't care about, uh, poor decision-making Elf. I can't remember uh, his, his name. I'm sure he has a name. Human love story. Yeah, well, that's on par for us. We can never remember people's names. Sure. Um... Yeah, Elrond's yeah, Elrond's all right, or at least I would like to know more about the Elrond that's portrayed right. in Rings movies. Uh, well, same with Galadriel. I think she would be a, an interesting story. I just don't think they've started to tell that interesting story yet. I, I also um, really like Celebrimbor. We haven't gotten hardly any of him mm -hmm. yet, but I mean, yeah. this, watching this show, my main takeaway so far is I want to see more of it, and I want to play the Shadow of Mordor games again. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Celebrimbor's little uh, little. Hot home hideout lair whatever you want to call it or whatever city that is that he lives in that was pretty beautiful I really like this I think there. it's a region um, which is the, the the great like forge city of the elves um, and like okay. he's a really cool character in Shadow of Mordor games and it's it's interesting that they've maintained that consistency because again like neither of them is really like solidly rooted in the original Silverillion uh, but, like, at least we have an existing portrayal of this character, and the TV show is mm. at least maintaining that, which is cool. I, I think that's nice. I think that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think for my favorite character, though, just because of the character introduction, I think I'm either going to have to go with Durin or his wife. Yeah. And, like, he, I don't think Durin's wife is going to maintain, like, continue to be a main character. Maybe she will. Who knows? Yeah. But definitely the scene that she's in is really good. I like that you can see he wants to be grumpy about the, the grudges that he has against Elrond. 
but yet he also wants to forgive him and be a good friend with him, and his wife creates the perfect bridge uh-huh. for him to do that. Yeah. Uh, we also glossed over the fact that he had one of the trees from yeah. uh, Elrond's forest. What, what was the name of the tree? I don't know. It's I thought they were called Malon trees, but uh, apparently there's something else. I don't know. I think he says it's a tree from Valinor, though. Mm. Anyway, that's a pretty big gift that he gave to him, and, and he's maintained it these years, yeah, and it's still doing well. So That was my favorite part of that scene, and I really like that scene. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that was very good. So, yeah, I'll probably have to go with Durin, because he's he's actually a very likable character once you get the, the, yep. the gruff. Well, and the way he's presented originally is really, like, cool, like... I don't know, he just, he, he definitely has that bearing of, like, a, a dwarven prince. Like, mm. He's exactly what you're expecting, and then he's also just this really cool character. He's got that, like, trademark stubbornness of not wanting to mm-hmm. forgive Elrond, but also wanting to forgive Elrond. It's, it's, yeah, it's really mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Can see yeah, that was, done, that was done very well. Um, what was your favorite scene? That, that one. The one that we were just yep. talking about. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think that was very good as far as character story goes um i really just liked how beautiful the tower uh, outpost was yeah where the we were introduced to it uh, well, at the beginning just because of the scenery it's just beautiful mountain scenery so i love that any closing notes um i don't know i, I think that we're in a, an interesting position here with this review where there's a lot of like can't really say whether or not we like it or not because <laughs> so much is still up in the air. Um, it'll be interesting. You'll have to you'll have to stay tuned, all four of you, so that you can hear our thoughts going forward. Because a lot of this, in retrospect, I think, is either going to be really good or really bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as we say on this show, that's what we review: is remarkably good or remarkably bad movies or shows. Yep. So. And we I, are in the perfect position to review those. I was, I was initially, like, like you mentioned, I was initially ready to be deeply disappointed. I have now, mm-hmm. against my better judgment, raised my expectations up to. I hope that I like this at least as much as I like The Hobbit. Mm. Like, I hope that when this is all over, I look at it and go, you know, they weren't true to the source material. There's a lot of decisions I didn't really like, but overall glad I watched it because I really enjoy the universe that it takes place in and there were some really cool things that they did with it. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Like, if we can at least right. hit that, I'll be happy. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, maybe we can finally get somebody to go send us an email at moviemarkey at gmail.com uh, now that we have said so many controversial things about this show. We did. As always, thanks for listening, and tune in for more great updates, hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) Depending on how this show goes. We'll see.